Well, it's Easter morning, and an old friend of mine, he told me this years ago, he said, Easter is about life. It's about life, but there's something that we should not forget. It's a quote by the modern-day hymn writer Matt Redman. Christian worship must contain both the cross and the crown. Christian worship must contain both the cross and the crown. And to get to Easter morning, we've got to get through the events of Holy Week. And since the beginning of the year, we've been in the letter of 1 Peter. So we're going to quickly look at Easter from Peter's point of view. But before we do that, we're going to pray together. Lord, Easter is about your son. And as we look at the events of Easter, it's important to remember that Easter is about Jesus. But where we are like Peter, Peter had to respond to the resurrection just as we, each of us, have to respond to the claims which the resurrection makes for us. Lord, thank you for this Easter Sunday. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your people. Thank you for our Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen. It is important to remember that that Easter is about Jesus. It's not about Peter. But like Peter, we have to respond to the claims of Easter. And our story begins at dinner time on Thursday of Holy Week. On Thursday night, Jesus and his disciples, they, they share what will become known as the Last Supper. You've seen the picture. After they sing a hymn, they go out to the Mount of Olives to a place called Gethsemane. And on the way, Jesus tells them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, after I have been raised... I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter replied to Jesus, Well, even if they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Peter, as we know, he's full of vim and vigor and zeal. And and, and Jesus says to Peter, Truly I say to you that this very night before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter replies to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples, they're saying similar things. So they travel to the Garden of Gethsemane and away from the others, Jesus falls on his face and he prays saying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass for me, this cup of suffering, this this cup of what is ahead for me, suffering and torment and crucifixion and death. Let it pass for me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Jesus, after he prays this really three times, he returns to Peter and the disciples. They are are with him in the garden and they are ever so drowsy. It must have been quite a meal that they had had earlier. They're ever so drowsy and Jesus has said to them, not once, not twice, but now three times, are you... Sleeping and resting, behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. Judas comes up 
accompanied by a large crowd. And immediately Judas goes to Jesus and says, Hail, Rabbi, and kisses Jesus on the cheek. And Jesus says to Judas, Friend, do what you have come for. They come and they lay hands on Jesus. They seize him. Then all the disciples, they flee. They lead Jesus away to Caiaphas, the high priest. And Peter, he's following, but he's following at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And he, he comes inside and he, he sits down with the officers to see the outcome. And the high priest says to Jesus, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus, he says, you have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Hearing this, the high priest, he, he tears his robes and he says, He is blasphemed. What further need do we have of witnesses? And he says to the other priests there in the, in the room, You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And the others answer, He deserves death. Peter, he's sitting outside the courtyard, and, and a slave woman comes to Peter and says, You too were with Jesus the Galilean. Peter denies it. Before all of them, and he says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then Peter goes out to the gateway, and another slave woman comes to Peter, and, and she says, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, Peter denies it with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, bystanders, they, they come up to Peter, and, and they say, you, you really are one of them. <laughs> Even the way you talk gives you away. And so to... In an, in an attempt to throw them off the scent, Peter, he, he begins to curse and swear. He says, I do not know the man. And immediately, the rooster crows. Luke 22 tells us that the Lord turned and looked at Peter at that moment. Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how... Jesus had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. Peter, he runs out and he weeps bitterly. Then Jesus is taken before Pontius Pilate, the governor, and Pilate questions Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, it is as you say. Soldiers take Jesus to the praetorium. They strip him and put a scarlet robe on him. They put a crown of thorns on his head, a reed in his right hand. They kneel down before him. They mock him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. They spit on him. They take the reed. They begin to beat him on the head. And then they put his own garments back on him and lead him away to crucify him. And when they come to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they crucify Jesus, and they nail his hands and feet to a cross of wood. They raise him up for all those to see. And above his head, they put the charge against him, which reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At noon, darkness begins to fall upon the land until 3 p.m. 
Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cries out again with a loud voice and yields up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple is torn in two from top to bottom, from heaven to earth. The earth shakes, rocks split. A centurion and those who are with him who have been keeping guard over Jesus, when they see the earth quake and they see all these things which are happening, they become very frightened and and they say, truly this was the Son of God. Evening comes, and a rich man from Arimathea, named Joseph, who is a disciple of Jesus, he goes to Pilate, and he asks for the body of Jesus. Joseph takes the body and wraps it in a clean linen cloth, and Joseph has the body laid in his own new tomb, hewn out in the rock, and Joseph has a large stone rolled against the entrance of the tomb, and he goes away. And on Pilate's orders as to prevent any uprising from Jesus' followers, the priests and the scribes, they, they go and they make the grave secure. And along with the guard, they, they set a seal on the stone. Please turn with me quickly to John chapter 20, the next to the last chapter of John's gospel. It's now the first day of the week, and Mary Magdalene, a friend of Jesus, she comes early to the tomb. She comes to the tomb, and it's still dark. And she sees the stone already taken away from the tomb. And so she, she runs, and she goes to Simon, Peter, and John. And she says to them, They've taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. Peter and John, they they burst forth. (laughs) They're going to the tomb. Off they go. They're running together. And and John, he's a little faster than Peter. He gets there to the tomb first. And John stoops and he, he looks in. John sees the linen wrappings lying there. And whether it be fright, fear, or whatever, John does not go in. And so... Here comes Simon Peter. He's following on the hills of John, and Peter, he enters the tomb. And Peter sees the linen wrappings lying there. And he sees the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. John, who had come first to the tomb, then also entered, and we read in this gospel that John saw and believed. And verse 9 of chapter 20 reads, For as yet they did not understand the scripture that Jesus must rise again from the dead. And then we read in verse 10, So the disciples went away again to their own homes. Luke 24 tells us that Peter... He goes away to his home, marveling at what has happened. So how does Peter respond to this resurrection? Upon Mary's news, there's a foot race of fear with, with a smidge of disbelief. 
And there's got to be lots of questions, and they range from, has Mary lost her mind? <laughs> to, to, who took Jesus' body? Where is he? And, and John arrives at the tomb first, and he hesitates. And Peter charges on, on ahead, and, and, he, and he enters in. And if you think about it, this makes sense. Peter often dives in head first. Peter is a responder, and whether it be to Peter witnessing Jesus covered in heavenly glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then telling Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here, we're going to stay, and James and John and I are going to build some tabernacles. Or, in essence, Peter shushes the Lord when Jesus tells Peter of his impending denials. Peter tells Jesus, no, you're wrong, I won't do that. Peter and John, they see the linen wrappings lying in the tomb. Peter sees the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. There's something, there's something about a face cloth. You know, when it comes to the face, it's more personal. Maybe it was at that moment when the realization of the possibility occurs. Grave robbers wouldn't have taken the time to roll up a face cloth. Whoever did this wasn't in a hurry. And the question changes from who took Jesus' body and where is the body to could he really have done it? John's response is is one of belief. Peter's response is, is one of marvel, of awe. And maybe Peter is stopping to think about what all Jesus did in Peter's presence the last three years. Jesus did some amazing, miraculous things. There were healings. There were demons cast out of men and sent into a herd of swine. There were thousands, thousands fed from a few fish and and loaves of bread. And then maybe Peter is thinking about what all he heard Jesus say. He might have thought, Jesus knew that I would deny him three times. He said that he would be crucified, and then he would rise, and then he would go ahead of us to Galilee. Does this mean that all of this has actually happened? Am I willing to believe it? Peter could say, I've seen some strange things that I can't explain. And I've heard firsthand from people who have experienced miracles of healing. Could this man have have risen from the dead? If this is true, what does it mean to me? And maybe that's where some of you are. Maybe that's where some of you are. Like Peter, you've seen some strange things that you, you can't explain. 
And you've heard firsthand from people who have experienced miracles such as healing. So the big question, the big question, if Jesus is alive, if all of this is true, then what does it mean for you and me? In addition to to all of the healings and the feedings and, and now a disappearance from the grave, Peter heard Jesus make two claims. Two of the claims which Jesus has made. And the first one is found in John 14 and the second in Matthew 10. The first claim from John 14. It was on the night of the Last Supper with the disciples when Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Jesus says that he's the only access to God. And by saying this, if the disciples had known him, that have known the Father also, he's saying that there's a relationship between himself and the Father. Jesus says, from now on, you do know him and you've seen him, And if you've seen me, you've seen him. Ergo, I and the Father are one. I I am God. I am the only access to the Father. There's a lot of folks who would disagree with that statement. The second claim from Matthew chapter 10. Jesus' words, Matthew 10 verse 32. Everyone who confesses me before people... I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. In essence, Jesus has said, I am one with God. I am the only way to God. And to access this way to God, you have to confess this is true before the world. And if you deny me as God, and you deny me as the only way to heaven, and you deny me before the world, I will deny you before the Father. When one acknowledges these two claims as possible, in essence what one is doing is acknowledging the reality of sin. When when you and I if we acknowledge these two claims as possible, in essence what we are doing, we are saying that sin is real. And and, and see, that's the whole challenge with trusting in what Jesus says. If I consent to the possibility of all of this, I'm saying that sin is real and sin is a problem and sin will keep me out of heaven. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? To defeat sin. And that's why he is the only way to heaven and the Father. He's the only one who who could go to the cross because he's the sinless Son of God. And this is why. And this is why the world does not want to recognize Jesus or his church. The world does not want to recognize Jesus or his church because no one wants to be told the way that he or she lives is wrong.
Again, the question, if all this is true, what can I do about it? I mean, look at, look at Peter. We heard him deny Jesus. What about him? Well, I've got good news for you. In the very next chapter of John, John chapter 21, following the resurrection, Jesus has a conversation with Peter that will change the course of history. Both with Peter and with the church. Jesus says to Simon Peter, Do you love me? And Peter replies, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, Tend my lambs. Jesus asks a second time, Do you love me? Peter says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know that I love you. And Jesus then says, Shepherd my sheep. Jesus says to Peter a third time, Do you love me? Well, this grieves Peter because he's already had to ask him twice. And now he's asking a third time. This sounds almost like a mirror of what were three denials, which Peter said. This is why this grieves Peter. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, you, you know all things. You know all things. And you know that I love you. And Jesus says, tend my sheep. Peter confesses his love for Jesus. The last recorded words of, of Jesus to Peter in this gospel of John is a charge. Follow me. Jesus calls Peter to take care of his church. And we've seen throughout our springtime looking at the letter of 1 Peter that Peter loves the church. Peter has followed the charge which the Lord Jesus gave him. Think about it. The man Peter, the man who denied Jesus, has not only been forgiven, but he's been placed in a position to serve until the Lord returns. Yes, he's returning. Do you remember what Jesus told the high priest? You will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So the big question if all of this is true, then what does it mean for you and me? What can I do about it? Well, you have to admit your sins before a holy, righteous God, who, as we see, is a forgiving God. We see in Romans chapter 3 that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous. And in the same way that Jesus forgave Peter... He can forgive you and me. And so, you and I, we have to admit that we're sinners. We have to confess our sin and that we have to believe that Jesus, as the Son of God, died on the cross to pay our sin debt. 
the debt that none of us could pay because we're not righteous. Only God himself is. Only Jesus, the Son of God, is. And Jesus, going to the cross, God made flesh, going to the cross, pays the holy righteous God on the cross, pays for our sins with himself. We admit and we confess our sins. We believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay for those sins of ours. And we confess our faith and our trust in Jesus as the Lord of life. We read in Romans chapter 10, Paul writes, If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness that only God can grant. And and with the mouth a person confesses, resulting in salvation. See, Jesus is not only alive now. Jesus told us in John chapter 10, Jesus said, I came to bring life and bring it abundantly. And not just in eternity, but life right now. Jesus can restore your your life and He can restore your hope for living right now. If you trust Him to deal with your sin and your eternity.